Um, so next Sunday I don't get to preach because we're going to have a I'll give a devotion at the end, but it's gonna it's gonna be a great time together. Our our choir singing some things that they've been working on, and some special music from some of our students and our children. And I want to encourage you to be here next Sunday for that at eleven o'clock. And yes, Miss Eleanor Sunday School as well. Don't neglect to be at your Sunday School class. Your teachers prepare every week, and uh, I'm grateful for their preparation. But I, I had already prepared Ruth too, and holding out for not next Sunday, but then the Sunday after, you just put everything out of kilter because I really wanted to finish Ruth before the end of the year and then turn to sort of a vision message for the beginning of the new year and then dive back into Mark's gospel. And so I'm a little bit of a bullhead, I guess, and I decided we'd meet tonight at 7.30. So thank you for indulging me and giving me someone to preach to. Otherwise, I guess I could preach to the, the phone and the windows back there, but it's a blessing that you are here tonight, and I'm grateful for your participation in the Word. So Ruth's Gospel, or the book of Ruth, um, in the Old Testament, chapter 2, and if you'll just hold your place there for a second, I, I want to remind you of, of what happened in chapter 1, in case you missed last week for any reason. The, the story of Ruth begins during the period of the Judges. When there's no king in Israel and everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes. and The, the book of Ruth begins with a famine in Bethlehem. A, a famine in the promised land. And a, a famine is a call to God's people to turn back to him. And we know that because of Deuteronomy 28. We've got this season of blessings and curses that the people of God will live under. And then later in Deuteronomy, God says, if you, if you turn back to me when there's a famine or calamity, then... Then I will return to you and, and it will be good in your land. And so there's this famine. But rather than repenting and turning to the Lord in dependence upon him, we see this family, Elimelech, Naomi and their two sons. They take matters into their own hands and they go to Moab where Naomi suffers the loss of her husband and her two sons. Along the way, her two sons got married, but they did not have sons of their own. And. We read that Naomi learns that the Lord has provided bread back in Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. So she decides to return. And ultimately, one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, returns with her. Her other daughter-in-law, Orpah, does not return. And you'll note that Orpah never shows up again in the book of Ruth. She, she never shows up again in the story of God. And yet, Ruth does return with Naomi, and the book bears her name. You see, Ruth returns and stays in God's story. Orpah doesn't, and she exits stage right. Staying with the Lord and going with the Lord and returning to the Lord makes a big difference in people's lives. It's the difference between Orpah and Ruth. But I suppose I've gotten a little ahead of myself. Chapter 1 raises this question. How will Naomi and Ruth survive without a husband or a son? Furthermore, how will the good news of bread in Bethlehem, because at the end of chapter 1, we learn that as they return, it's harvest time and there's a harvest again. How will the news that there's bread there in Bethlehem become good news for these two poor widows? Would you hear now the word of God? Now, Naomi had a 
kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She's been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here, we're drawing you, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and she and he served her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants, saying, let her glean among the sheaves, even among the sheaves and do not insult her. Also, you shall purposefully pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So. She gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. Verse 19. Her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today? And where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, the man is our relative and he is one of our closest relatives or literally our kinsmen, one of our kinsmen redeemers. Verse 21, then Ruth the Moabite has said, furthermore, he said to me, you should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, 
that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Would you pray with me? God, help us in the next few moments to come to really digest this text. God, help us to glean from this text what you would want us to learn, what you would want us to see about Christ, our Redeemer. I ask it in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. I told you last week this chapter one was a bit like the, the first scene in a four-act play. Chapter two is a bit like the second act in a four-act play. Like chapter one, it has three scenes. In scene one, the narrator introduces us to Boaz. Verse one, we, verse 22 of chapter one, we have this question. How in the world are Ruth and Naomi going to survive back in Bethlehem? They don't have any sons. They don't have any husband. They don't have any way to get bread. And then, boom, verse 1, might it be Boaz? That's what the narrator wants you to be asking yourself. So he introduces us to Boaz, and Ruth happens upon his field. In scene 2, Ruth meets Boaz, and as we just saw, Boaz provides for Ruth and Naomi's needs. And then finally, in the third scene, we see that Ruth returns to Naomi and shares with her grain from Boaz's field. So what is it that we can glean, pun intended, from this text? Nobody laughed. It was Sunday morning, I would have gotten at least ten of you. What can you glean from the text? Okay. So, Act 2, Scene 1. Act 2, Scene 1. Ruth happens upon Boaz's field. What in the world do we learn in this first brief scene? I think the primary thing that, that I want you to get from this text and that God would have us to get from this text is we've got to recognize our need for God's grace. We've got to recognize our need for God's grace. In verse 1, the narrator introduces Boaz to us, the readers. He's a relative on Naomi's husband's side. In other words, there's a chance that somehow, some way, using the law of the kinsman redeemer, which I'll explain more two Sundays from now, but there's a there's a hope that perhaps Boaz might be able to actually rescue the family line and even raise up a son. The, the, the family line is dead, but perhaps somehow through this man, a son might be raised from the dead to perpetuate the family name. In the short term, he's a man of great wealth, or as some translators Put it, a worthy man. It's difficult to translate verse 1 because in Hebrew it's three nouns in a row. Boaz is a man, a great one, of, of wealth or strength or virtue. And it's hard to know what the author means because the word is used, it has a wide range of meaning. So, so Boaz is this man, a, mighty, a man, a mighty one of wealth or strength or virtue or position or character or all the above is probably what the author is trying to capture in verse 1. So the author, interestingly enough, holds back on us Boaz's name until the very end of the sentence. If we were reading in the Hebrew, we would, we would go, who is this guy, this, this man, this strong one, this great one, who might he be? And then the author says, it's Boaz. 
whose name means quickness, or his strength is within him. Do you know a Savior whose name is Jesus, whose strength is within him, who needs no one to aid him or to give him power or resources or strength? I, I think we know a Savior like that. His name is Jesus. Back to Ruth. Who is this man? Will he rescue Naomi and Ruth? Naomi and Ruth don't know Boaz or about Boaz, but they recognize that they need God to rescue them. And this plays out in verse 2 where Ruth asked Naomi permission to go glean. You see, God had a law about gleaning and about harvesting. Back in Leviticus chapter 19, and it's repeated in Deuteronomy 24, 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the needy and, interestingly enough, for the stranger. Which was different in Israel than any other country in the known world at the time. Any other nation. Israel was the only nation that left something for the immigrant. Why? I am the Lord. Your God. God commands the landowners to leave the margins of their field unharvested to provide for the marginalized in their society. But gleaning was a hard work. It was an unpredictable work. How large of a margin would the landowners leave? And would I go to the right field? And what kind of a harvest would there be? And would the gleaners be pretty meticulous in picking it all or will they leave some behind? Will I get to the right field in time or will I always be a day late and a dollar short? The famine is over, but these destitute widows still have no male support or claim to ancestral land and they are left completely to the mercy of the landowners. So Ruth, interestingly enough, in verse 2, doesn't just ask to go glean. Do you see that? She also hopes, verse 2, for one in whose sight I might find favor. Ruth says, maybe I'll do what I can do. Maybe I'll be obedient to the word that says that if I glean, God's going to provide for me. But maybe he'll do more than just give me my daily bread. Maybe he'll give me the one who is the bread of life. Or at least will lead to a son who will get us to the one who is the bread of life. Maybe someone will take notice of me. Favor is the word grace. It's Cain. It's the root word of Canaan or Canaan land. She is looking for the grace of God. Ruth is not seeking as she goes out to glean a God who helps those who help themselves. She is seeking a God who generously and lavishly rescues the hopeless through the one who will notice her desperate situation. She is, after all, a barren widow from Moab. Five times in chapter 2, she's called either a Moab, from Moab, a Moabitess, or a foreigner. She knows she's an outsider. She knows she's a barren woman. She knows she has nothing to offer unless God would somehow notice her. Ruth recognizes her need. And salvation always begins with recognizing our need, church. 
And churches flourish and they thrive when they never leave behind recognizing that we are nothing apart from the grace of God. And when we recognize we have no hope unless God rescues us, things begin to happen. Look at verse 3. She just so happens to come upon Boaz's field. I, I wish you could see this in the Hebrew. It's like she, her, ha her chance happened upon a chance. And, and the author, you, you can imagine almost the, the wry grin on the author's face. Like, yeah, of course she happened upon Boaz's field. This is the way it always is when people come to the end of their rope and they have nothing to offer. And they say, God, if you would recognize me and give, you your, give me your grace, that's when happenstances happen. Psalm 72, 12 tells us, he will deliver the needy when he cries for help. The afflicted also in him who has no helper. Ruth doesn't know she's in Boaz's field, but she's about to learn. I don't know the happenstances that led you here tonight. I, I don't know the folks listening on Facebook, what's happening in your life that would cause you to dial into a Facebook live stream and say, what in the world's going on at North Roanoke Baptist Church on a Saturday night before blizzards? <laughs> but for some reason you're here and you're listening you see, God is at work even in the happenstances of life. And he's leading desperate people to his Redeemer's field. Or to his Redeemer's doorstep. And I've got some good news this evening. We, we might not all be enslaved to material poverty. We may not all be desperate for a loaf of bread. We are, however, all slaves to sin, which leads to death. Just like Ruth and Naomi in the family line of Elimelech, we all need or needed someone to intervene on our behalf. Someone who was qualified to save us, to rescue us, who had the resources to satisfy our hungry hearts. And that someone ultimately is Jesus. You see, Jesus is the greater Boaz. He's not just a man of great wealth and great prominence, but of infinite wealth and perfect character. Perfect conduct. He's not just capable. He's perfectly capable. Jesus has all the resources necessary to take your past sins and to redeem you and rescue you from them. And to fill you with a holy desire and pursuit of God's Son. He has the resources to make you clean from the inside out. And praise God, like Boaz, He will supply your need. Look at scene two. Act two. Scene two. Ruth meets Boaz. And here's what I want you to glean from scene two. We must behold God's Redeemer. And we've got to receive His bread. If, there's, if I die tomorrow or tonight, if there's one thing I can tell you that I, that I think that God has built into my life that is worthy of passing on. There's, there's not much other than my, my beautiful children, my precious wife, and my family. They love Jesus, and, and that's awesome. But if there's one thing that Pastor Daniel could say to you, Daniel, you know, what's the connection between reading the Bible and being a disciple of Christ? It is this. Every time I open the Bible, I ask the question, 
God, where is Jesus in this text? Show me Jesus in this text. Show me Jesus. And the goal of my preaching is not that you would walk out always with practical points of application. Sometimes the goal of my preaching is simply that your heart would be satisfied in seeing and beholding and worshiping Jesus. Because that's what you were made for. That's what you were recreated for, was for worship. And to delight in who our Savior is. That's, that's life, church. It's not getting your budget perfect. It's not finally getting your garage fixed. It's not finally having everything, having the cat by the tail and the world around your finger. That's not life. Life is beholding Jesus. And look at how verse 4 begins. Now behold. It's right there at the beginning. It says, behold Boaz. Look at this Redeemer is what the author is telling us. When we behold Boaz, we see the amazing grace that God gives through this man. When we see his lavish provision for Ruth, we are reminded of Christ's even more lavish provision for us. He died for us. He was God from eternity past and entered in and robed himself in our humanity that he could die for us. Acts chapter 20 tells us that he died. He didn't die and give somebody else's blood for you, but his own blood for you. Jesus didn't have rented blood. He entered in and took on humanity that he could shed his blood for you. The first thing we see in verse 4 is that Boaz, like Jesus, comes from Bethlehem. A little town of Bethlehem. We didn't have to wait for Micah to think that the sun might come from Bethlehem. We can go all the way back to Ruth and know that this sun is going to come from Bethlehem. Because at the end of the book of Ruth, we find out that David comes from the offspring of Ruth and Boaz, ultimately. And we know that if you keep reading, there's going to be a son who's going to be a forever king in the line of David. And that David is from Bethlehem and Ruth is from Bethlehem. So you get all the way back to Bethlehem long before the minor prophets. Are y'all here tonight? I, I love the Bible. It's amazing. He is good. Look at Boaz in verse 4. Who, who does this when they walk into work? Whose boss walks into the office and he's like, the Lord be with y'all today. Nobody does that. But Boaz did. Boaz, like Jesus, desires Yahweh's presence with his servants. Did you know God wants the Lord's presence with you so much that he is the Lord and he robes himself in humanity and he comes at Christmas as Emmanuel? He doesn't just pray that the Lord would, would be with you. He is the Lord with you. And then his servants say, showing us that he is a kind and good owner and master of the field. What do his servants say? Bless you. Boaz. Church, we need to behold the Redeemer from Bethlehem who comes desiring that his servants, his church, would have the Lord with him. And if the Lord be for us, if God be for us, then who could be against us? Verse 5, just as Ruth hopes in verse 2, Boaz notices Ruth. Do you see that? Whose young woman is this? Literally, he says, this woman belongs to whom? I think that he might have liked what he saw. <laughs> Behold, the Redeemer, 
who notices those who come to him in need of his provision. Aren't you glad that Jesus noticed you when you were desperate? <laughs> when you were far off, when you were a foreigner, when you were wicked and dirty and sinful and nobody would even tell your name? Look at verse 6. We're presented with an underlying tension in verse 6. Notice that the foreman of the field doesn't know what to do with the foreigner. He never even says Ruth's name when he answers the question. Well, uh, Boaz, she's, you know, the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. You know, the Moabite. The outsider, the foreigner, the stranger, the weirdo. She's that woman. Then in verse 7, I, I don't know what your translation says. There's, translators have made various attempts. I'm going to tell you what it says word for word in the Hebrew. It, it is broken. And I think it's broken because like a narrator of a good play, he's trying to show us that this foreman just doesn't know how to answer Boaz's question. So here's what he says. Well, she entered and stood from then, the morning until now, this, her, sitting the house a little. I don't know. Uh, what am I going to tell you, Boaz? Because some, some translations make it sound like that he had let Ruth go out and glean and then had her come back. But actually, what, what seems to be going on here is when Ruth finally gets to his field and Ruth is like, hey, I want to glean here. He's like, why don't you sit here for a while and I'll let the odor sort that out. What do I do, Boaz? Should I, should I let her glean? She's from Moab. What about your reputation? What are people going to say about you, Boaz? I mean, do you know how long it took for people to accept that your mother is Rahab the harlot? Matthew 1.5. What's going on in verses 6 and 7? Verses 6 and 7 are amplifying our appreciation for Boaz and for the salvation that he provides. It's not a salvation that's convenient for him to give. He welcomes the foreigner into his field. He calls Ruth, not a Moabite by the way, but his daughter. Verse 8. He puts his reputation on the line. He welcomes the outcast, the foreigner, the sinner, the one who doesn't belong, church. Behold the Redeemer from Bethlehem who welcomes those who were far off to share in the bountiful harvest of God. Which, as an aside, since it's Saturday night and not Sunday, I'm going to take a little more time. This impacts the church, church. There's a lot of conversation in our country about immigration. There's a lot of conversation in our country about what to do with the outcasts and the foreigner. And there's a difference between law and policy and the church's responsibility to those who are already here. Whatever your position on what the politics should be, and you can have your position, your responsibility to your neighbor who's in front of you, regardless of whether they're here legally or not, is to give them the gospel and not withhold from them the good news of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We will not be a church that looks down our noses at people because they have a skin tone that's different from us, because they don't happen to have a driver's license like ours. Yes, the implications of the gospel might be that upon trusting in Christ that they've got to do something to get it right. But we don't withhold from them the gospel in the process because Jesus didn't withhold the gospel from you when you were dead in your trespasses and sin and you were foreign to the people of God. Amen. 
Are y'all here? As Homestead observes Boaz in verses 8 and 9, he doesn't just give, give her bread. Look at what he does. He gives her a set of instructions that go well beyond what gleaning requires. Instead of allowing Ruth to spend time in his field looking for remnant grain wherever she could find it in areas that had already been harvested, she says, no, you stay right here. You follow right behind my female harvesters. Ruth, you're going to get the first dibs of the remnants because you're allowed to follow right behind them. In verse 9, Ruth, excuse me, Boaz continues, When you're thirsty, don't fear getting water because I've provided not only for your food but also for your protection. None of my servants will take advantage of you. Is this not a picture of the much greater salvation that God gives us in Christ? For if we are in Christ, not even the gates of hell will prevail against us. What confidence we have as those who have been given the privilege of Harvesting in God's field. He says, not only will I give you water, I am living water for you. Even if we die, we will live again. Behold, the Redeemer who protects the needy who come to Him. Now look carefully again at verse 8 for just a moment. Boaz says, do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one. You see, church, the Redeemer gives bread, but He expects our loyalty. Boaz's provision and protection are available only in Boaz's field. And everlasting life is available only in Christ. Behold the Redeemer who is jealous for His people. Jesus says, I will give you bread, but it's only going to be found in my field. Don't come to Jesus as an experiment. Don't come to Jesus just to try Him out. Come to Jesus with your all, recognizing that He is God's solution. Jesus desires an exclusive love from His church. Where does that come from? Church, it comes from gratitude. Did you see Ruth's response in verse 10 and verse 13? In verse 10, she's overwhelmed by the grace that Boaz has shown her. She falls on her face, bows to the ground, and says, Why have I found favor in your sight? That you, that you should, do you see, the, you see the language? That you should take notice of me. Exactly what she prayed for back in verse 2. It's the exact same language. Why should it be that you would take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Can I translate that for you, church? With daily. We should find ourselves saying to Jesus, Why have I found favor in your sight, Lord, that you should take notice of me since I am a sinner? Even after Boaz explains that he's seen her faith in action, she's already given herself to the Lord by coming to the land of God's people, desperate for God to do something for her. She asks in verse 13, Why do I find favor in your sight, my Lord? For you've comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant. Do you see it? Again, though I am not like one of your maidservants. You want to know what a hallmark of true Christianity is? You want to know what a hallmark of really walking with Christ is? You want to know, you want to know that you know that you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and that you've given Him your life? Here it is. A mark of someone who has truly been adopted into the family of God is, is that they have a profound and unshakable sense that they don't even deserve to be there. How is it that I've been rescued? Seeing what I've done and where I've come from.
come from. And all the things that I said and thought and did that didn't please God. How is it even possible that God rescued me? I'm a foreigner. I'm an outsider. I don't even deserve to be with these people. That's what it looks like when we understand what it costs for God to save us. Now look at verses 12 through 16. You thought it was good that she got the harvest in the field. You thought it was good she got to go with the, the maid servants and follow right behind. In verse 12, he prays that the Lord would reward her work because she has sought refuge or rest under his wings. And then in verses 14 and following, he becomes the answer to his own prayer. It sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? He gives her the refuge for which he prays. In verse 14, before she gleans, Boaz calls her close and he gives her bread and vinegar or the fruit of the vine. Yeah, in other words, we've got the Lord's Supper in Ruth chapter 2. And he gives her a seat at the table with the other harvesters. And Ruth receives more than she can even eat. That's not an accident, church. Verse 14, she's got some left over. Behold the Redeemer who personally calls us close. He says, come near and let me feed you with bread and let me feed you with the crushed fruit of the vine. Let me satisfy you before you go out into the harvest field. Let me make sure that you know what a privilege it is to be able to harvest. Let me fill you first with what it is you are going to pursue as you pursue grain. You see, Christ gives us a seat at the table with his servants, and he provides more than enough of himself to share him with someone else. Now that Ruth has been satisfied with Boaz's grain, he sends her into his bountiful harvest, and he makes sure she won't go empty-handed. Notice, he ups the ante in 15 and 16. Now he says, you know what? Just let her glean even among the sheaves. And by the way, why don't you pull out some bundles for her so she doesn't even have to do that much work. And by the way, no insults, boys. No rebukes. I know that God rebukes the nations, but he doesn't rebuke the nations who come to him seeking his grace. Behold the Redeemer Church who gives us more bounty than we could ever ask or imagine. Finally, and quickly, Act 3, Scene 3. Ruth returns to Naomi. What can we learn from these last few verses? Part of what is said, we'll have to hold back until we preach chapter 3 and following. But in terms of the bread and what we can learn from the harvest scene and what is shared, I believe we, can, we learn that we must share with others. And reap until the harvest is complete. We must share with others and we must reap until the harvest is finished. Until verse 17, Ruth has been mostly passive, right? All she's done is obey God's law of gleaning and happened upon the field. And Boaz happens to notice her. And then Boaz does all this work to prepare her to be a recipient of his goodness and then to have a harvest. Her work now comes in verse 17. It's to be a harvester in God's field. Why did God save you? Why did God feed you with bread and the crushed fruit of the vine? Why did he become the body? Why was his body broken for you? Why did he say, come feast upon me? It wasn't so you could sit around and say, look, well, I'm a great Christian. It was so you could go find foreigners who are far from God. Aliens and strangers to the purposes of God so that you could get a harvest. The reason he fills you up is so you can go harvest. 
And he tells his servants to let her glean wherever. And we've got a whole road up valley that we need to glean. We need to harvest. When Christ draws us near to feast on him, he does it not only so we would be filled, but so we would be nourished for harvesting. And in verse 17, even though Ruth doesn't get started with gleaning until after the midday meal, somehow she gleans all the way until evening and she gets an ephah of barley. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what an ephah is, so I had to look it up. It's a big old bunch of grain. 30 pound sack of grain. In an afternoon, she, she gets filled up by God's Redeemer and she harvests all the way till, she, till there's no daylight left. She goes all the way till evening. Would to God that the church would be so full of the goodness of God and recognize how the fields are white unto harvest that we wouldn't quit at noon, we wouldn't quit at three, that we would go full bore for the harvest of God until there's no daylight left. Can you imagine young Ruth lugging that sack back to Bethlehem? That's hard work. But don't you know she had a smile on her face every step of the way? As Ferguson writes, here's the young widow who immigrated with probably little more than the clothes on her back. That morning, she left the bare cupboards in the home of her Jewish mother-in-law. Now, only hours later, she staggers home with 30 pounds of grain over her shoulders. And in verse 18, Ruth is satisfied and has plenty left for Naomi. So Naomi asks her, where, it, where did you glean? I was going to say, where in the world did you glean? It wasn't in, that's not in there. It's not a literal translation, but, but if I'm trying to get the, the thrust of the emotion, where in the world have you been? Do you notice how Ruth answers her question? She doesn't answer with a where. She answers with a who. Naomi, it's, it's not where I worked that I need to tell you about. You need to know the name of the one who provided for I was with Boaz. So like his servants in verse 40. You see what Naomi does? She blesses Boaz just like Boaz's servants blessed him back in verse 4. And when you get in to the harvest field of God and he fills you up to overflowing, you can't help but want to bless Jesus. You can't help but want to live a life that is a blessing to him. Even as she realizes that Boaz is a relative and one of their redeemers. And we'll talk more about that and the significance of it in two weeks. This is how it is when we come to Christ church. When, when people say, we come to Jesus and he turns our life upside down. And people say, well, what program are you on? What thing are you trying? What's your secret? I don't have a secret. I don't have a program. I'll tell you. His name is Jesus. He's the one who saved me and adopted me and redeemed me. And I didn't have a hope and I stumbled into his field and he rescued me and he filled me. And I want to tell you everything about him because there's a harvest worth eating. And it comes from Jesus. Now that Christ has come, church, as the bread of life, did you know that sharing is harvesting? Ruth shares with Naomi. She participates in the harvest and then she gets up and harvests the next day. But we can harvest by sharing. 
Christ feeds us daily with His presence so that we can reap in His field and we do it by harvesting. And how do we harvest? Look at Ruth. He told me in verse 21 to stay close to His maidservants, to stay close to one another. Did you know the best way for the church to be harvesting is for us to stay close together? For us to be a team united in the gospel? Did you know that we're a team of nobodies giving our all for the only somebody who can give bread to the outsiders and the sinners and the foreigners who need to know of Him? That's who we are. Stay close. Interestingly enough, that word stay close is the same word that said Naomi that Ruth cleaved to or clung to Naomi. It's the same word back in Genesis 2.24 that a husband leaves his mother and father and he clings to his wife. That's what the harvesters of God should look like. We should cleave to one another. We should cling to one another. We should pull for one another. We should long for one another to be effective in the field of God's harvest. So church, I want to urge you, might it be that as we turn the corner in 2019, and as we look out across a broken Roanoke Valley, and a broken world, in desperate need of the living Lord Jesus Christ and the bread of life, that, that God would find us faithful to feast upon Christ our Redeemer. That he would find us faithful to wake up every day and say, as Ruth said, how in the world did I even get here? And then to wake up. And after we've said those things and thought those things, to be faithful to one another and faithful to Christ as he fills us up to overflowing and makes us eager to share him with others. As we work and reap in his field all the way up until the harvest is done. Let's stick with it until the harvest is done. Thank you for your time and attention this evening. Brother John will sing a hymn in response after we pray. Would you pray with me? Our Father, our God, our King, our Lord, our Savior, our Master, our incredible, our incredible Master, who not only prays that the Lord might be with us, but He comes near and comes low. That we might know the fullness of the presence of the Lord. Holy Spirit of God. If there, if there be one here tonight. Who doesn't know that there's a time in their life. Where they've bowed their knee to you. And surrendered to you. And confessed their sin. And received the, the life giving bread of Christ. From the inside out. That they've been cleansed of their sin. God today make it, make it on a crazy pre-snow Saturday night service. That you would rescue one. And make them again another harvester in your kingdom. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing.